Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is the 12th. I think it's the 12th. The, yes, it's the 12th of April. And it's still, it's still um, National Poetry Month. You know how that goes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to say, uh, my verbal tick was, you know, you know, you know, you know. Now that I'm 82 years old, my verbal tick is, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just think I need to go on with um, the late, great Edna St. Vincent Millay, because it's still, it's still poetry time. Uh, I, uh, I have a little notebook here. Well, I have one notebook that I carry around with me, and I keep meaning to get around to it. It's, it's got eight movies and television shows and <clears throat> I I guess they're important I, I don't really know I don't really know whether or not we're supposed to care about those things most of the people I know tell me that it's wicked and frivolous to pay any attention to pay any attention to uh, the box the tube you know last night I was I, I finally started to watch this wonderful woman uh she has a show called Full Frontal. Um, her name is Samantha B with a capital B. And she's the only female, the only woman on late night television. You know those late shows? I think there's, there's a nine, ten, eleven guys. Uh, I have watched Bill Maher a couple times and he's really the only one that clicks with me. Uh, Samantha is more fun. Full Frontal. And uh, I think last night I I did I did turn on Bill Maher just long enough. Uh, he was talking about the Republicans trying to dump Trump, and he had one pretty good line. Uh, he said the right wing is turning to Tom Cruise uh, as a possible a possible. Uh, alternative and then he said well sometimes you need a rat to kill a snake not bad not bad bill i wonder if he does his own writing anyway i put my my uh movie television notebook away because uh gee i just don't think i think if i had an hour then i would do uh what i used to call mind over media i would do a uh film and television bit but never mind 
I want to go on with Edna Millay because I started last week and I didn't have a chance to finish. And she's she's just, what do you call that? Uh, she's my surrogate, my s- surrogate uh, mentor or mother. You know how that goes. Uh, 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 I, I can't figure out whether we're supposed to... Uh, we're supposed to do the next thing I'm trying to listen to so much spoken word uh, most days I can't help it I just I, I just want to go back I want to go back to the time what was it she used to do she used to pour all that passion and, and uh, uh, melodrama I guess into her Victorian forms uh that's what it was. Yes, mostly people remember her for her romantic hedonism, you know. Greenwich Village had the bohemian life, the roaring 20s, and she did get a Pulitzer Prize in poetry. First woman, yes. Pulitzer Prize, 1922. Uh, great line, yes. What should I be but a harlot and a nun? Uh, actually, she broke down in... Midlife, she got very sick. You know, these poets. Uh, she found a kind husband and moved with him to upstate New York, and they got this old New England farmhouse and, oh, 650 acres of woods. As I said last week, her sister, uh, the last, the last of the three sisters, Norma, is, uh, well, was living in the early 80s when I went up there to visit, and she had all these signs saying, Please don't shoot the deer. Uh, anyway, that's all over. It's closed. It was called Steeple Top. And, of course, as soon as Norma died, they plowed it under. Yes, <laughs> I think. Uh, yes, it was a colony for the arts. After Edna Millay's death, poets and painters went there to hide away and do their thing. Uh, I think that... Uh, guess that uh, there are two two schools of thought. Uh, there are those who think that it is better to burn out, and then there are others who think maybe we should sit quietly and what is it poetry is uh, what is that um, passion or something reflected upon in tranquility. I still use. The line she has here, like gardens looked at through an iron gate. That is my vision of poetry. I can't get through the iron gate, which is our reality. Uh, uh, Let's see, in my school book here, uh, she quotes Keats always. La belle dame sans merci, the beautiful lady who never says thank you. I think when she went to Vassar, she was a theatrical. She did all these plays. Ario Di Capo was the one we used to do in my school. Uh, she had these anarchist ideals. Uh, the liberal club above Polly's restaurant. She dabbled in Freud and psychoanalysis and Max Eastman's magazine, The Masses. The works of Nietzsche and the projects of Emma Goldman. Uh, actually, uh, <laughs> here's a note from the Journal of 
Alex McKay, a friend of Edmund Wilson's. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. Edna Millay's response to F. Scott Fitzgerald saying he wrote The Camel's Back between 8 p.m. and 2 a.m. Millay said, Fitz affects all the attributes he believes a genius should have. <laughs> Obviously, she was self-aware. Uh, you know, I love the gossip about all these jazz age, age folks. Uh, best of all, I like the descriptions in the biographies about her childhood by the sea. Reminds me a little bit of Sylvia Plath. Uh, I grew up, yes, by the ocean, and uh, it's, what is it, uh, it's essential, but then I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to assume that people who live inland, you know, don't hear the music. Uh, here it is, uh, she has written this poem, Renaissance, early, early, this is the one that got her into Vassar, she read it in a hotel, uh, and uh, a rich lady there gave her the money to go to Vassar. In Renaissance, she writes, O world, I cannot hold thee close enough, thy winds, thy wide gray skies, and thy mists that roll and rise, thy woods this autumn day that ache and sag, and all but cry with color that gaunt crag to crush to lift the lean of that black Bluff world, world, I cannot get thee close enough. Long have I known a glory in it all, but never knew I this. Here such passion is as stretcheth me apart. Lord, I do fear thou'st made the world too beautiful this year. My soul is all but out of me. Let fall no burning leaf. Prithee, let no bird call. Underneath here is the quote from Keats, Though the sedge is withered from the lake, And no birds sing. Late in life, well, 1945, uh, Died in 1950, Malay writes, Small hands relinquish all. Nothing the fist can hold, Not power, not love, not gold, But suffers from the cold And is about to fall. I think the sadness, um, The sadness is there even in the early poems, uh, this is, yes, this is the sort of poem I, I sent it to someone once, and he was offended. Malay writes, Who hurt you so, my dear? Who, long ago, when you were very young, did, said, became, was? Something that you did not know beauty could ever do, say, be, become. So that your brown eyes filled with tears they never, not to this day, have shed. Not because one more boy stood hurt by life. No, 
because something deathless had dropped dead. An ugly and indecent thing to do so that you stood and stared with open mouth in which the tongue froze slowly backward towards its root as if it would not speak again too badly stung by memories thick as wasps about a nest invaded to know if or if not you suffered pain <laughs> yes uh, I think of Malay as a nature poet uh, she's called a love poet of course uh she was born in 1892, ten years before my mom. She had a red-gold aura. She had this Celtic heritage. She was a redhead. She dressed in green. Yes, the green scar. She was of the earth, earthy. She wrote as much about the thorn apple. It's a jimson weed of the deadly nightshade family. As much about the thorn apple as she did about men and mutability and all the rest of it. She was born in Camden, Maine. And the poems are full of fennel and heather in the manner of Emily Bronte. Oh, yes, all that sea and sensuality and, of course, socialism insofar as it promised social sense. <laughs> yes. Yes, the kind that Bernie Sanders advocates, right. Okay, I, I love her line. It's in a letter I, I carried around with me uh, at election time because I see people fighting and wrangling over this nonsense uh, about the president. Uh, she wrote to her lover, she says, I will love you always, no matter what party is in power. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me find some of my most favorites. It's a strange thing that I find these days. I, I always write in the margins of my books uh, the poets that they remind me of. Uh, I love her little play, Conversation at Midnight. Just to try to read that sitting around, you know, it's not a stage play, it's a page play. Uh, everybody is arguing, you know, about life and death. Um, here's what she says. Uh, well, uh, yesterday or last week I said, it's not arrogance, Ricardo, it's utter terror and loneliness that drives a man to address the void as thou. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh, Emily Dickinson has that theme. Uh, best of all is <laughs> yes, her lines here, she, she wrote, one of the characters says, God, I'm so sick of the smell of faded personal tokens fluttering out from between the leaves of second-hand books. Oh, let the dead past cremate its dead, I say. Oh, we have no room here even for its bones. And yet, uh, she's the one 
who wrote, Read me, do not let me die, search the fading letters, finding steadfast in the broken binding all that once was I. I was thinking of that last night, watching a, a film called Outlander. The new season has started. It's all about Scotland in the 18th century and uh, London in the 20th. <laughs> the woman's a time traveler. She goes back and forth. She goes back to the 20th century and she thinks that her great love and the father of her child uh, lived and died in the 18th century and that he is now moldering in the ground, nothing but dust. It's driving her crazy. It's called Outlander. Uh, I love the stuff about Scotland. Uh, check it out if you have a chance. Uh, here is Malay having uh, um, what is it? Uh, Siege, right? The poem's called Siege. She's, <laughs> she's having a bad time here, she says. This I do, being mad, gather baubles about me, sit in a circle of toys, and all the time death beating the door in, white jade and an orange pitcher, Hindu idol, Chinese god, maybe next year when I'm richer, carved beads and a lotus pod, and all this time... Death beating the door in. <laughs> Actually, some of her shorter bits remind me of Dorothy Parker or the other way around. Uh, <laughs> she's always, uh, she's always coming up with these jaded bits, she writes. After all, my earnest wild dear, my no longer cherished need, we say, it was not love just because it perished. <laughs> my mother's favorite collection of poems was uh, titled Wine from These Grapes. In a poem called Memory of Cape Cod... Malay writes, Wine from these grapes I shall be treading surely morning and noon and night until I die. Stained with these grapes I shall lie down to die. Oh, and yes, in the next poem I've marked the line, right? Let me listen to wind in the ash. It sounds like surf. On the shore. I remember noticing that when I first moved to Bellinas, right? Uh, the wind and the waves sound alike. Here's a poem called Ashes of Life. Malay writes, life goes on forever. Like the gnawing of a mouse. And tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, there's this little street, and this little house. <laughs> In the Harp Weaver, she has a poem called Scrub. I put it next to the other poem called Siege. 
Oh, scrub. She compares herself to a scrub rather than to a willow tree. Scrub, if I grow bitterly like a gnarled and stunted tree, bearing harshly of my youth puckered fruit that sears the mouth. If I make of my drawn boughs an inhospitable house out of which I never pry towards the water and the sky under which I stand and hide and hear the day go by outside, it is that a wind too strong bent my back when I was young. It is that I fear the rain lest it blister me. Again. Now I have with me the uh, love sonnets, most of which I uh, I hesitate to read because uh, I think I'm too jaded. I don't deserve her, her, her angst. Uh, there's a, a collection of sonnets called Epigraph for the race of man I uh, read on this station years ago and you know it's about what's going to happen when we're not here anymore and I'll save those for another day because they are so heartbreaking here's one from Fatal Interview right Fatal Interview this is one of her sonnets in the sonnet collection she writes Night is my sister and how deep in love, how drowned in love, and weedily washed ashore, there to be fretted by the drag and shove at the tide's edge, I lie. These things and more, whose arm alone between me and the sand, whose voice alone, whose pitiful breath brought near could thaw, these nostrils and unlock this hand she could advise you should you care to hear small chance however in a storm so black a man will leave his friendly fire and snug for a drowned woman's sake and bring her back to drip and scatter shells upon the rug no one but night, with tears on her dark face, watches beside me in this windy place. Oh, so many, so many special poems. Uh, There's a little house there at Steepletop, it's out in the woods. All alone, just a little tiny shack, had her uh, chair and table and pencils all right there and firewood. Uh, that was in the early 80s, and they kept it as a memorial. I used to walk out into the woods to see her little writing house. Oh, she writes. I think this is from, not Fatal Interview, this is wine from these grapes, I'm not, yes, right. Never, never may the fruit be plucked from the bough and gathered into barrels. He that would eat of love must eat it where it hangs. Though the branches 
Bend like reeds, though the ripe fruit splash in the grass, or wrinkle on the tree. He that would eat of love may bear away with him only what his belly can hold. Nothing in the apron, nothing in the pockets. Never, never may the fruit be gathered from the bough and harvested in barrels. The winter of love is a cellar of empty bins in an orchard, soft with rot. This next, mm, this next piece is a one I tried to do once in a class called Oral Interpretation of Literature. <laughs> I don't think I got it right at the age of 19. She writes, Edna St. Vincent Millay writes, Not in a silver casket, cool with pearls, or rich with red corundum, or with blue, locked and the key withheld, as other girls have given their loves, I give my love to you. Not in a lover's knot, not in a ring worked in much fashion, and a legend plain, semper fidelis, where a secret spring, channels a drop of mischief for the brain, love in the open hand, no thing but that, Ungemmed, unhidden, wishing not to hurt, as one would bring you cowslips in a hat, swung from the hand, or apples in her skirt. I bring you calling out, as children do, look, look what I have, and these are all for you. I remember the stage in my life where I used things like, uh, I used her phrases like uh, apples in her skirt for a poem, or at Tide's Edge, that was the one, right? Tide's Edge, that's night is my sister, okay. And here's the end of a long sonnet that uh, is hard for me ever to forget. She writes, when, when you are dead, my dearest... And your disturbing eyes no more as now their stormy lashes lift to lance me through as in the morning skies one moment plainly visible in a rift of cloud two splendid planets may appear and purely blaze and are at once withdrawn. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the stuff here I have about uh, Edna's boyfriends. I just can't bear to read it. The first one gave her a Corona portable typewriter. I remember noticing that. Uh, uh, I must have been in my 30s before a man gave me a typewriter. He was sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> He regretted it. Uh, let's see. 
I have just barely, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, uh, such choices. Let me just try this one. Uh, only until this cigarette is ended a little moment at the end of all, while on the floor the quiet ashes fall. In the firelight to a lance extended, bizarrely with the jazzing music blended, the broken shadow dances on the wall, I will permit my memory to recall the vision of you. In your day, this moment is the sun upon a hill, after the sun has set. I had to cut part of that last one. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back again next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Devere Smith will be in Berkeley on Thursday, April 21st, for a benefit performance of her acclaimed one-woman show, Let Me Down Easy. Based on interviews with a wide range of people, Anna Devere Smith explores aging, the vulnerability of the body, and the resilience of the human spirit. That's Anna Devere Smith performing Let Me Down Easy at the First Congressional Church of Berkeley, 2345 Channing Way, on April 21st. Proceeds benefit the Daybreak Adult Care Center's Community Services for Healthy Aging. 